The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro, fresh back from Vegas. No, I didn't see Sean Payton running the half marathon or drunk at the blackjack table on Sunday post-Saints games. But it's the middle of the week. We're going to talk to Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation to break down the film, talk about the bounty nonsense, uh, draft, Saints season in the toilet, all of it. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Um, the only thing I hate more than preseason football in August is preseason football in December. And that's where the Saints are at five and eight. Let's let's be real. That's where they are. Yep. So, you know, what do you want the Saints to accomplish the rest of the way? Uh, that's realistic and and not only realistic as far as wins and losses, but what's the best thing for them going forward, heading into twenty thirteen? Well, and. Ralph, first of all, let me just say how amazed I am at how great you sound from just coming back for a, from a week in Vegas. Oh, I mean, you're coherent. You don't sound tired. You sound like you have a pep in your step and some energy. So um, color me impressed, man. Well, I, I would not be in the same shape right now. I did have a nice run at the blackjack table the last night to sort of catch back up after um, I got a little sideways betting football on Sunday. So that was good. <laughs> well, congrats on the money one then. But, um, no, I think in, in answer to your question, you're absolutely right that it's a glorified preseason game. And for that reason, the wins and losses are kind of meaningless at this point. And, you know, I, I think when, when, the, when the kickoff starts, I want the Saints to play well. And I can't root for a loss. I just don't have it in me. So, um, you know, I'll probably root for them to play well and hopefully win. And I, I'm certainly not going to let a loss sting me anywhere near as bad. I'm going um, to the end. You know, I'm rooting for them to lose. Okay, yeah. I mean, you know, you can certainly make the argument that, hey, the, the better draft pick, you know, the better off the team is, and therefore they should lose. Um, or, or at least you're rooting for them to lose as a good fan. But So I think you can go both ways. But I, I think when, when you're playing a real preseason game, so we're talking about August here, it's all about evaluating personnel. You're trying to figure out which of these camp bodies can actually cut it, which of these guys belong on our practice squad, which one of these guys can actually make the team. Like a Teron, Teron, uh, Teron Walker, who hasn't had a chance to play all year, but he's been on the 53-man roster. Perfect example of a guy who, coming into camp, everyone wrote him off as up camp body. Guy doesn't have a shot to make the 53-man team and kind of surprised some people at the end. So, um, I think the last three games of this regular season are very much that way. And now, obviously, they don't have a team full of players that they can run out there. They have, still have a 53-man roster. But I really think this is a time to try out Traverse Cadet in a little bit more situations. Um, you know, try out Eric Olson at guard. Um, you know, whether it's Junior Gallette and Martez Wilson playing extensively um, at the end positions. Um the backup corners, you know, 
I personally would love to see an entire series with um, Bush, Raphael Bush, and Esau Abdul. Forget a series. I want a half. I want to get Absolutely. I I would love to see those two back there because I'm actually pretty impressed by both of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if – well, I'd be surprised, but I I actually think those two can perform better together potentially – with reps and with experience than Jenkins and Harper, what they've given us this year. So um, anyway, I I think it's all about evaluating personnel. And I think, you know, I think now that the season's down the tubes, um, you try some different stuff. And and so you you try to get a sense of, okay, where does this leave us for next year? And which, which guys do we want to keep? And let's not forget the cap situation. The Saints are going to have to let some guys go. Um, So if any players are quitting, any players are, not cutting it, or um, you just get the sense that they're, you know, not trying very hard, then you know what? That, that's not the type of player you want on this team for next year. No, you, and, and, you know, I want to see Caduce and Bush as well, because I, I want to be able to say in 2013, the Caduce Caboose uh, for safety <laughs> as this catchy slogan. But look, I, you know, Harper and Jenkins, I've seen it. I know what it is, and I want something better. Um, so play Bush, play Caduce, see see how it goes. Uh, play Joseph Morgan a ton to see if he can beat Devery. Because if if Joseph Morgan can have a solid three games and just continue to, even if he just stays at the level he's at, Andrew, at least then if he does three more weeks of that, I think it's safe to say he can beat Devery Henderson 2.0. Maybe not as good as blocking, but if he can beat Devery Henderson 2.0, you're fairly decent at wide receiver, which is what I want to talk to you. You know, we always have Andrew on if this is your first time listening to podcasts because he breaks down the film like no other. Um, and I, you know, we, we talked when, when, when uh, I was in Vegas just uh, to commiserate the Saints getting beat like a drum by the Giants. And one of the things I asked Andrew to look at on film, I said, Andrew, it seems to me that the receivers aren't getting open. And that happened early against the year against Washington. And they, Washington was like, we're going to single cover your receivers, because we don't think they can get open, and they didn't, and it's kind of happened all year long, and they're getting drummed by, whenever they play elite teams, Andrew, they've gotten drummed this year, so are their receivers not getting open? Is that a big part of their offensive issues that they're having? Yeah, I mean, definitely, Um, and I I think, first of all, I just want to address real quick Joe Morgan. I definitely think this is an opportunity for him to get more reps, and I'd love to see him getting more reps. But I've already seen enough from Joe Morgan to convince me that he absolutely can be the next Devery Henderson. If you remember Devery Henderson, he struggled massively early in his career. He didn't with play his first year. He didn't, he didn't play at all his first year, yeah. And neither did Joe Morgan. I mean, let's remember last year was his first year. But, um, you know, I, and, and his second year, I mean, he, he had about as, as the same impact that Joe Morgan's had this year, a lot of costly drops and big plays, um, yeah. but, you know, about 10 catches, 15 catches in his first year. So um, that's kind of what Joe Morgan is probably by season 10 going to give the Saints this year. But, um, I, look, the guy's fast. He's got big play potential. Um, he can stretch the field. And, and that's really all the Saints have ever used Henderson early in his career or even Robert Meacham for. And he has shown that he's good enough of a blocker in running situations that he can stay on the field and he's not a complete liability at other stuff. 
So I think he's only going to get better as he gets more consistent and less raw, you know, just with more experience. And, and, and I absolutely am sold on Joe Morgan, and I think he makes a team next year barring injury, and he's a receiver they continue to develop. So I think he's a keeper. Um, now, granted, I, I still think Morgan is, is going to be a one-trick pony to a certain extent. You know, he's a field stretcher. You know, he's got speed, but um, let's not mistake him for ever becoming a complete receiver that's going to start in this league. Um, but for the role that, that is very important in the Saints' offense, and which yeah. they've had too little of this year, um, I think Morgan can fill that role. So then you go down the roster and look at what else they have, Colston has definitely lost a step, and you know he had his well, banged up foot all well, let year. Well, yeah. let me say that about Colston. You know he's got that plantar fasciitis. That shit. I'm no doctor, but listen, that shit doesn't heal. Like the only way that heals is to rest it. And I think because he played with it and he had the great game against, I think it was what it was a uh, Sunday night when when. Uh, Drew Brees broke the record for San Diego, and he had a couple of good games. People were like, ah, his foot is fine. It's not fine. So maybe he will be – if he's healthy next year, I think he can be better. The question is, he's getting up in age. Is he going to continue to get nicked and get injured? But I'll give him a pass and say that he's still just gutting it out on that foot. Yeah, he's gutting it out. And, and look, I don't think Colton's ever going to be fully healthy because – he takes bigger hits yeah. than almost anyone on the team. And that part of that's just the way he plays the game. He's always in the slot. He's a big physical receiver that makes tough catches over the middle and tight coverage. You know, he, he's not one of those guys that's just going to flat out beat a cornerback. You know, he's going to use his body and his size to make catches, um, but he's not going to be wide open all the time. So, um, you know, Colson is what it is. And as he gets later in his career, his size, his hands, I mean, he's still a valuable asset and receiver. Um, but I think he's getting even less separation than ever. Um, and that needs, so I, I still think there's a place for him on the roster, but um, it, it requires more from some of the other guys. I still think Lance Moore, he, he's maybe a little bit less consistent than I would hope. He kind of comes and goes, but has terrific hands, gets open, runs great routes. So, I still view Lance Moore as kind of in his prime. Um, but then beyond Lance Moore, they don't really have much else. I mean, Devery Henderson is washed up, in my opinion. I think he loves the guy, huge LSU fan, and obviously have great memories of him as both a Saint and an LSU player. So it kills me to say it, but, um, you know, he's a starter. He's a guy that gets a ton of snaps, and he, he's done. He, he just he, – he's not – the player he used to be, he doesn't stretch the field as much, and um, every time he takes a hit, it seems like he's injured. So um, I, I think that's the main thing. You know, his contract's up, so he's not going to be back next year. Uh, I'd be very surprised if the Saints re-signed him, um, and I'd be quite surprised if he ended up on another team and made any sort of impact. I, I think he, he's kind of close to being done, done. And they have Nick Toon, um, who we haven't mentioned his yeah, name so since Nick, August. Nick Toon, we- Yep, you're right. Nick Toon comes back. And so I think Nick Toon is kind of a potential to be kind of more of a Colson-esque type of receiver. He's not a burner. So I think what this team is missing is kind of one more explosive guy, and I'd love to see them late in the draft try to find a a Deshaun Jackson type of player. And uh, obviously Deshaun Jackson is – you know, I, obviously they're not going to strike gold and find a replicate of him, but something like that, a guy that can stretch the field with exceptional speed that they can develop. Because 
I think what we've really found is this offense is best when it has two um, vertical threats, not just one. And right now, yeah. their only vertical threat really is Joe Morgan. So they kind of need a second guy. Well, I'm going to tell I'll give you a scenario that I think is maybe quite plausible is that, look, Robert Meacham, I don't think he's injured, and he's been sucking it up in San Diego. Now, maybe it's just the the general black hole that is San Diego. North Turner just has sucked everything in. But, Andrew, I think there's a possibility that San, Di- that San Diego, they're going to fire North Turner. They're going to fire A.J. Smith. There's a possibility that whoever they bring in might just start throwing guys out, regardless of cap or whatever. And the Saints may be able to say, hey, Robert Meacham, you, I know you got that guaranteed money from San Diego, but, you know, you need a place. Come on back for one and a half, two million, you know, just come on back and, and do do your thing that you did here, you know. I mean, so I think, I mean, maybe it's a 25, 30 percent shot, but I think I think it's a real shot that it wouldn't surprise me at all if Robert Meacham is back with the Saints in 2013. That's an interesting prediction that I haven't thought about at all, but. Um, I, yeah, I, I could see it, man. I certainly could see it. But, um, you know, if you ask me going into next year who I'd like to see as the Saints receiving core, um, you know, obviously you got Colson and, and, and Moore kind of entrenched as the starters. And I'd love to see uh, Morgan kind of develop along with Nick Toon um, and kind of be the three, four guys. And then I'd love to draft late um, a, a burner, another guy that can come in and give them another vertical threat. Um, and, you know, so then after that, you know, they've got to hope, obviously, you, you don't want to get injured because they're not very deep there. Um, but I think it's time to move on from, you know, a veteran like Henderson and, and kind of go younger and get kind of more speed in town. Yeah, position. and, you know, they've, they've proven on the offensive side, at least, they know how to develop play. They know how to develop running backs. They know how to develop – they know how to develop – any position. You know, like you said, they took Devery Henderson, didn't play his first year under Hazlitt. They took him, made him into a really solid NFL receiver that did his role really well. They took Jimmy Graham. He struggled this year, obviously, but they took him from barely playing any football at all, made him a star. They've done it with countless running backs off the scrap. Pierre Thomas, just to name one off the scrap. So they can take, if any team can take a receiver that's just a raw prospect that, you know, can run a four-two-five, but can't catch a cold, and figure out how to make him an NFL player. The Saints damn well know how to do it. Um, but Andrew, I want to talk before we get to the bounty stuff, which everybody probably listens to the podcast like, when are they going to get to the bounty? When are they going to rip Goodell? When are they going to do it? Oh, we're going to do it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about Drew Brees. And look, uh, I just got the ridiculousness of my email this week, even though I didn't write a column recapping the Giants. People talking about the contract for Drew Brees, he was too too much. They should have let him walk. You know, can, before we just declare Drew Brees on the downside, can we get Sean Payton back in the fold, and can we have a year where they're together again and and see if he if he if he has another bad uh, you know a bad year? And this year he still could lead the league in touchdown passes for God's sake. So it's it's, it's not awful. Um, it's been horrible the last three weeks, but Andrew, it seems to me without Sean Payton. It seems like Drew Brees' really good qualities bite him in the ass. He's With Sean Payton, he's really, really aggressive and making really hard throws. And without him this year, it seems to be he's kind of reckless. And his interception binge that he usually has every year of two to three weeks, it's usually about four or five interceptions. This year it was nine, 
in three games. So, you know, that's that's the missing part is that Drew Brees has sort of become from aggressive to reckless without Sean Payton. Is that fair? I mean, it's somewhat fair. Um, I, I mean, if you look at the Giants game, those two picks, for me, they're both on Jimmy Graham. The first one um, was just a case of him tipping a ball up high. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a great throw, and it was a dangerous throw, but um, you look at how it got intercepted, it's a little bit unlucky, you know, that Graham gets, gets his hand on it, pops it up, and right into the waiting arms of the safety. Um, his second interception, for me, is all on Jimmy Graham. As I watch the tape, Graham is running flat-footed, and, and probably partially because he remembered the last throw, and that affected him mentally, the last interception, and he wanted to secure the ball against his chest instead of being aggressive and attacking the ball and going up high for it. Well, that took away his entire advantage as an athlete and as a physical specimen. I mean, that's why a year ago Jimmy Graham was so good was because he was aggressively going up after balls and making those plays, and he stayed flat-footed, took away his physical advantage, and and that's what resulted in the interception. Um, So, um, you know, I don't really blame him for those two picks. I mean, it, it, it's all a domino effect. I mean, that's just something where, you know, Sean Payton gets in guys' head, manipulates them the right way. Right now, Jimmy Graham needs Sean Payton in this space. Well, um, yeah, I agree. And the thing is, you have to remember with Jimmy Graham, you know, we, we think of him as, you know, he, he was so good last year. You know, and he's—I mean—he's come so far. His story, if you don't know it, is really great of what he came, what he overcame to get to the to get to the NFL and to become the player he is. But really, as far as like football adversity, Andrew, he he hadn't really faced any. You know, he came in with the Saints and he he started to come on his rookie year, got injured, they missed him for the playoff game, and then last year he set the world on fire. But this year he had the drops. He had an injury, which if you're you know. Not only is he a young football player, he's young, period, as far as playing football. He's only his third year. It's the first serious injury he's had. He had a, He's had a lot of obstacles this year, and I'm not making excuses for him that it's okay to be bad. I just think with all the adversity he's had, he really, really needed Sean Payton, more so than I think almost any player outside of Breeze. Yeah, I agree. And um, look, I, I'm, I, I kind of think this was a, a sophomore slump for him. Obviously, it was his yeah. third year with the Saints, but um, I think he things came pretty easy to him last year, and he was a successful player. And um, maybe he took that a little bit for granted and thought he was just going to be able to dominate the league again. Um, but he's gotten a little complacent, and he's lost some some confidence, and that that can make all the difference. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think an off season with Sean Payton hopefully back and. That, that'll change things mentally for him. But um, there's no question that Breeze has been affected by Sean Payton being gone. And, and I think we kind of said this at the beginning of the season that, oh, well, this is Drew Breeze, and, you know, he's got the veteran leadership, and, you know, he, he he's kind of going to take the bull by the horns and be that leader that the Saints need to replace Sean Payton. Um, so I think we kind of felt like Breeze was just going to come in in a cape and be this hero. And in the end, we're all starting to realize, or at least I am, that maybe Breeze is the player that missed Sean Payton the most of all these people. And um, because I think he put too much pressure on himself to replace Sean, to step into a a, a tough situation with a team that is struggling and has had some bad things happen to them this year, and he tried to be a hero. You know, he put too much pressure on himself to – 
make up a two touchdown deficit with one throw and you know make make a, make up a three touchdown deficit with one throw and i think that's a little bit of what you saw and you know uh, football is a game of dominoes and you know obviously they don't hit in the right place they don't all fall the right way and and, and it's and it's it's jumbled and so you know the right tackle position has been problematic and you had some poor play calls early in the season um, with really poor balance, and uh, you've had some receivers that have struggled to get separation. And so, you know, those all factor in a little bit. Jimmy Graham has been god-awful and has had killer third-down drops. And so, like I said, at some point, Jimmy Graham, um, Drew Brees just decides, I'm going to put this team on my back, I'm going to carry him. And uh, there's been a little bit too much of that maybe and not trusting his playmakers and his teammates to, to make plays for him as well. Yeah, I mean, and look, you know, Drew Brees, he said some interesting things that he just, you know, destroyed Goodell uh, today, which we're about to get to. Um, and, you know, he said, look, but, you know, with all the stuff that happens, I'm not, we're not, we're five and eight, but I'm not going to, we're not going to use that as an excuse. You know, but here's my thing, Andrew, sometimes in life, when you say why something didn't happen, sometimes it's a reason, not an excuse. And, you know, like me, I can't juggle. I can't juggle because I only have one working arm. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. And I think if Drew Brees, he doesn't want to come out and say it because the Saints have three games left and it would sound, maybe it would be, he'd think that it would give the signal they're quitting. But I think all Saints fans, if Drew Brees would come out and say, you know what, Goodell fucking torched our season before it even started. We, we didn't think it happened, but it, that's the way it is. We're going to play out these three games really hard, but Goodell ruined our season before it even started. I think Saints fans would, would say amen to it you know yeah yeah and as we get into this goodell stuff andrew i asked this question in my column and it's a serious question what did the nfl accomplish through all this bounty investigation besides burning the saint season to a ground to the ground and screwing over seventy thousand season ticket holders what did the nfl accomplish um well i think they accomplished putting fear in players and uh, putting fear in teams that if they do anything that even remotely um, resembles a bounty system or even really a pay-for-performance system, that there's going to be hell to pay. And I think that's the message that Goodell wanted to send. And I think that that message still is pretty loud and clear. So I think from what he set out to do from that perspective, um, he kind of did come out on top. And I think it was a success. You know, am I saying that no team does pay for performance anymore? I I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, But I I guarantee you they're thinking twice about it. Well, Andrew, uh, if I have a gopher in my garden and I, I can get rid of him, I can get rid of it by dropping a nuclear bomb in my garden. Like I don't. I mean, to to accomplish that, to put if you if you're really going to put the fear of God in teams, you could have said Sean Payton lied to me. I'm fining him a million and a half dollars, and I'm suspending him for two weeks. Like it would have done the exact same thing, and you wouldn't have torpedoed a fan a fan base's season. Oh, oh, I, I'm you asked me what he accomplished. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just responding to that question. By no means do I think he handled it appropriately. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that. But I mean, um, I mean, to to go through all of this for nine months, they that doesn't seem like he's accomplished very much. 
to just no, he hasn't. He hasn't. I mean, that, that's the thing is, is I think he he accomplished that. I think he accomplished that. There there probably will never be a bounty system in the NFL for a very long time. So I, I really do believe that. I really do believe that he at least accomplished that. Um, now, I don't. Number one, I'm not sure that was the ultimate goal. I think the ultimate goal for Goodell was to assert himself as the dominating iron thumb leader of the NFL and it's his way or the highway. Mm -hmm. And um, that backfired big time because now you've got Drew Brees, one of the most respected and um, well thought of personalities in the game, flat out saying that the players don't, um, don't respect him. And, also, you've got Jonathan Zilma with a ongoing defamation suit that has now gotten his suspension rescinded. So basically, all of his suspensions on the players has been rescinded, and, and his his penalties have been taken away. And not only that, but it's not over. You know, Zilma could still um, get something out of this defamation suit, and that that certainly makes him look bad. And I think it also sends a message down in the future that hey, if, if Goodell oversteps his authority, um, you can fight this. And if you fight it hard enough um, and you feel justified in doing so, you may actually win. Um, so I, I think that sends a message that Goodell absolutely didn't want. And from that perspective, um, that, that's something he set out to accomplish by asserting his dominance, um, and that completely backfired. Um, I think, lastly, he wanted to um, – sent a message that he cared about player safety, um, which is a ruse for he really cares about the bottom line in the NFL. And that, that's, his, that's his main objective is generating more income. Um, but he wanted to use um, a hard stance against player safety to suggest that he supports it. Um, but as we know, uh, he hasn't really accomplished that either with his well, suggestions of more games, more playoff games. Um, which ultimately means more money and endangers player safety more. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, not only has he not accomplished anything by by you know making trying to make a have a basically he wanted to use the Saints as a PR campaign to say we're serious about safety. But to me, Andrew, he made it worse because, like you said, he's Vilma's got that defamation suit. Now, look, will it go forward? Will it not? I don't know. Maybe the courts will shut it down. But he sort of opened up the Pandora's box where. He'll have to testify in discovery. And look, I'm no lawyer, but lawyers, when they go into discovery, they just look for anything they can find because they say, well, it might be important. I mean, that's what happened to, to Bill Clinton when he they found out he was he was getting a blowjob from the fat intern. That was a land deal, but they were just looking for stuff, and they found it. So to me, yeah. he might have opened up a Pandora's box of all that concussion stuff. When did the NFL know it? How much research did they do that they weren't telling anybody about? And by doing this bounty gate and putting Vilma in the corner like he did, where Vilma had no other recourse but to fight because his career was on the line, like to me, Goodell has opened that Pandora's box. And like you said, he had unlimited authority under the CBA, but Vilma burned it down because now players, like you said, they're like, you know what, I'm going to fight tooth and nail. So now... Goodell's got to tread lightly on discipline. I mean, I, I, this, to me, I guess it it could go worse for Goodell if they found some audio of him somewhere saying that he was fixing games and was screwing over the Saints that way, and that would damage the league anymore. But to me, I can't see how this 
could have gone pretty much any worse for Goodell than it did. Oh, well, I'm shocked, Ralph. I am, you know, I I, I expected Tagliabue to perhaps, um, you know, reduce the suspensions a little bit or um, or even decide that Goodell was absolutely right and completely vindicate Goodell and, and uphold the suspensions. Um, what I w- was not expecting was for the players um, to be completely, um, I mean, in, in a sense, exonerated. I, I mean, it wasn't a complete exoneration because except for um, Gita, it was. It, it was. It was very contradictory. You know, he yeah. he almost uh, agreed with everything Goodell said in the same breath. Said, "But I'm vacating the uh, the suspensions, and it's all God's fault. It's all good, it's all Peyton's fault, and the, the New Orleans organization and the staff. It's all their fault." And there's plenty of evidence to suspend a number of players, but I'm not suspending these players because they don't deserve it. You know, so yeah. it was just like this. Uh, well, you know, it was very contradictory. And so I, obviously he was trying to defend his boy a little bit, Goodell. But um, well, that's you know, the. That the one the one bad thing to come out of Goodell the the, the Bill ruling I think is I think, and to me the most important thing for the Saints is to get the second round pick back, Absolutely. because that could be I mean if the Saints drive this bus of the 2012 season if they drive it off the cliff and finish up five and eleven, that pick could be number four or number five, and. That means that that pick could be a top forty pick. You could be that could be like if, if the Saints say they pick number seven in the draft, Andrew. That's a number thirty nine pick. I mean that's yeah. a that's a potential starter. And I think by this by Tagliabue saying you know what it wasn't the players' fault they were falling order it's the front office that will give Goodell the justification to say it was the front office the draft picks. You know, and not get it back. Well, I, I think this is – I'm like you, Ralph. I'm going to be very interested in seeing how that one – that situation plays out because when the appeals happened, that was the one thing that Goodell said. I will I, – if, if people comply and I'm happy yeah. with things, you know, at this time next year, I reserve the right to potentially lower the boom on that pick. So he, he had already dangled that carrot and threw that yeah. out there. So now it's going to be really interesting to see when the time comes. And it's going to come, you know, we're, we're four months away from the draft, Ralph. So, um, you know, at some point soon, he's going to have to decide, you know what, no. I'm laying the hammer down on the Saints. They still lose that second pick, at which point he looks like a bitter, angry individual. Yeah. Or he, he decides, okay, I am lowering it. And, and then the question is, does he lower it to a third, a fourth, a seventh, or you know, or, or, or what is he going to lower it to? So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, from an organizational standpoint, the Saints have way more holes than we ever realized, and they don't have a ton of cap money, so we desperately need that second pick. Yeah, and especially if it's top 40. And look, Saints fans, we get to get reacquainted with our old favorite mistress, the NFL draft. You know, it, That's right. it used to be our most favorite thing, and the last three years hadn't hadn't really given a shit about the draft because, you know, when you're going thirteen and three, fuck it. But now, well, Ralph, I want to talk more about um, Goodell, but um, I, I before we get off topic, well, I I'm, I want to get off topic real quick, but I just want to go back to one thing you said earlier um, that we that I didn't get a chance to address and meant to. Go ahead, um, Drew Brees. You said that some people said 
that we shouldn't have spent that money on him potentially or that the contract was too big. My answer to those people is I am one of those people as a fan, as a a football enthusiast, as a guy that thinks of himself as more knowledgeable maybe than the average fan. I always tell people, show me the alternative. Yes. Before you tell me you want to go down a certain road, um, which is to not re-sign Drew Brees, tell me what's on the other side, and then I'll tell you whether or not you're an idiot. Yeah. And you're basically telling me if you didn't want Drew Brees signed to a $100 million deal, plus your options were Chase Daniel on a one-year contract, quarterbacking the Saints this year, number one, or number two, you draft a rookie, and the Saints had no better than a third-round pick. So Nick Foles maybe is a guy that they could have gotten. Was, was he a second-round pick? He might have been too no, high. So. He might have been a third. Um, he might have been a, a – or Russell Wilson. Russell Seattle, Wilson, nice, you know. nice quarterback, not Drew Brees. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just saying tell me the alternative. And when you consider those as the alternatives, I'm sorry. No. I don't yeah. care how much you had to pay to keep Drew Brees. you got to consider the options. you got to consider the alternatives. And, um, yes, he's had a fourth season, and, but I think it's important to emphasize this, Ralph. Drew Brees this year, this year, which I think we can both agree is, is the worst in the six years that he's been with the Saints. This yeah. is probably his worst season. Um, Drew Brees in six years, his worst season in six years is better there's a 70% chance. I'll go as far as there's a 70% chance that that Drew Brees is better than any quarterback we will see in a New Orleans Saints uniform in yours and my lifetime. Well, let, let, me, let me, Andrew, Andrew, that, that's a perfect point. And, and let me say this. I'm going to sum up the Saints' entire history in 15 seconds. For 20 years, when the Saints started in the 67, for 20 years, they were – the laughing stock of pro sports, okay? The bags, the ain'ts, Archie Manning getting crushed. For 20 years, they were hideous. For 20 years, they got Jamora. They had Hazlitt. They had the Ditka disaster. They were mediocre. And then the last six, they've been spectacular. So going by that, Andrew, they won't be this good again for another 40 years, most likely. So... This is going to be the best you're ever going to see probably in our lifetimes with the Saints at quarterback. And, you know, Drew Brees, yeah, he's had a bad year, but there's extenuating circumstances. And that's why, to me, getting back to Goodell, Andrew, that's why what Goodell did was so awful. Is this window of glorious, fun football that the Saints have is limited, just like any other thing in sports. You know, nothing goes on forever. And he burned one of the years of Drew Brees' prime to the ground, and for fucking what? Nothing, really. And to say that they care about the fans and all that bullshit, you know, they, they just urinated all over the city of, the, of New Orleans and their fans who have sold out the Dome for seven years in a row. Uh, and they got nothing really concrete that they can say – They've improved anything for the NFL. Yeah, no, if anything, they have. I, I think the biggest takeaway now 
um, now that the dust is starting to settle, um, is the, the biggest takeaway is Goodell overstepping his authority and his authority being usurped because of it. I think that's the biggest takeaway, and that is um, all things considered uh, a disaster scenario for all parties involved. Especially for him because, you know, Paul Tagliabue as commissioner, he was sort of the bricks-and-mortar commissioner. His thing was getting new t- teams, new stadiums getting teams new stadiums, getting the TV deals and all that. Roger Goodell's whole thing is like, I'm Mr. Law and Order. I'm cracking down on these rogue players, and that's sort of his thing. And Jonathan Vilmas put a giant dent in it. And and the thing is, look, I don't know remember where I read it, but I think it might have been on Deadspin. Somebody was saying, look, the problems with football is not the concussions. The problem with football is football is fucking violent, and that has to change. And Goodell thinking – Goodell tries to make it out like it's a ro- the rogue saints, and they're out to injure, and there's concussions. And once we fix that, everything's fine. But that's not really the case. The, pro- the problem with football, Andrew, is that you have these large men, and they do violent shit to each other, and it's not safe. We love it, yeah. but, but it's not really safe. No. I mean, uh, look, Ralph, I mean, if you really want to get into the depth of it, I mean, for me, um, the quick fix is, is, is the, how big, look at how big these players are. Look at how big they were 10 years ago, five years ago, and look how big they are now. I'm sorry, but the human race is not developing at that pace. Yeah. You know, and so there's this little thing out, out there on the black market called HGH. And I would venture to say that 90% of players in the NFL – now, I'm pulling this out of my ass, and you can quote me for saying this, and I don't have proof, okay? But I suspect, because I played football in high school for a small, Catholic, all-white high school, and numerous guys that I played with – and this is in the mid-'90s, Ralph yeah. – numerous guys on my team – were on some form of performance-enhancing drugs at that point. Now, if you're going to tell me that you're going to tell me that my school was dirtier than your <laughs> average black school where football is king, and these kids, the kids in my high school, they didn't have a chance to get to the next level. The kids in the schools I'm talking about, their life depends on making it to those to that next level. So, based on that, I think. It, it's a huge epidemic. I think it's a huge problem. And I'll, so anyway, back to my point, I think 90% of players in the NFL at some point or another in their NFL career have been on HGH. I would say 90%. Well, I, I mean, if you pull the offensive lineman, it's probably closer to 95%. Well, I mean, and look. When yeah. you look at it that way, it's like that's why there's more injuries because the guys are bigger, they're faster, the hits are more violent, and – that that is what's causing injuries as much as anything else. Well, I mean, look at it. I mean, you know, you were a tennis player, you know, and I, I never was able to play sports really worth a damn. But I mean, look, if if somebody came along to me and said, "Ralph, take this, take this, and you can play, and you can be quarterback or a wide receiver or whatever in the NFL and have a ten-year career and make millions of dollars," but on the backside of your life, you're going to be broken down and destroyed, you'd have done it. You know, Absolutely. and you, if you just said, hey, Andrew, take this medicine, you'll win Wimbledon three times. But when you get to be 50, you're going to be 
your your joints and shit is going to be wrecked. You'd be like, so I'll sign here, initial here, initial here, done. I mean, right. you know, I mean, because that's how we are as human beings. But I just think the violence and the injuries, football as we know it in 10 years, I think it's going to just be, it's going to be completely different. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know if they're going to put weight limits on it, if they're going to take away the helmet or whatever. I just know that it's going to be completely it's going to be completely different and will we love it as much i don't know but it's just it's it's the way it is now you can see it slowly slowly starting to change sort of like a, a ship going changing course a little bit andrew but i'm afraid that there's go, the the way it's going they're trying to fix concussions but to me they haven't really fixed a damn thing about it uh and eventually there's going to be a tragedy in the NFL that's going to radically change everything. And will people still love football as much without the violence? I think we will. I mean, I, I like the – I mean, I'll, don't get me wrong. I like love the hits and all that stuff. But I also like the, the offense and this and that. So, I, I mean – Yeah. I mean, you look at what happened to that poor kid from Tulane, Devin. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that was – in a way, it was kind of almost, I don't want to say too bad, but it didn't get as much exposure as it deserved because it was a Tulane Greenway football player. If it had been in an NFL game on prime time, if, if, if a player like that had broken his neck and on prime time and he had flatlined and he had been revived on the field with all the cameras in all the media circuits, you bet your ass it would have had a profound effect on the game, on the sport, yep. and it would have changed everything. Okay, but because it was a Tulane football player, the impact is is hell. If it, had been, so, if it had been an LSU player against Alabama, it would have changed. Absolutely, everything, you know, absolutely. But you know, and, and, and you know, the HGH point—that's something that Goodell, I think, is aware of because remember, it was a big contingency. It was it was a big point in the. Um, in the in the lockout, and they finally got a deal done. Where and, and Goodell has kept pushing it. When are we going to begin testing? When are we going to begin testing? And the players keep resisting. Well, I'm telling you why they keep resisting. They say it's because of the cost involved. It's because they're all going to test positive. That's why they don't want HGH testing done. And eventually, it's going to happen. And Goodell keeps pushing for it, but he has gotten such resistance from players on that issue that he has picked the Saints and the bounty thing as his um, his scapegoat, as his opportunity to send his message across that, you know, rah, 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 I'm, I'm, in, I'm cleaning up the game. I'm this enforcer guy. And unfortunately for the Saints, because he wasn't able to do it with HGH and he hasn't been able to do it with some other angles, this was his opportunity. He seized it, and it's backfiring now. But unfortunately for the Saints, they're the ones that are paying those sins now. They're paying for those sins of Roger Goodell on a mission. And that was the opportunity that he was able to find. And it's what I like to call being in the line of fire. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, um, it it just – it is what it is. I think – me personally, I I hope that New Orleans – because the Super Bowl is in New Orleans, I mean, New Orleans kind of needs to, like, get over it. I hope there's no, like, incidents with him. Seriously, I hope that people don't try to do anything horrible to Goodell or even not horrible, like, 
throw stuff at him or be rude. I mean, you just don't want the publicity. You want the Super Bowl to go to New Orleans. But people in New Orleans ain't going to get over this shit for a long, long time. You know? He'd be smart. I mean, I'm like you, Ralph. I don't want anything to happen. I'm not rooting for – I mean, look, if if a bar or a restaurant turns him down, I'll laugh. That that would be awesome and hilarious. But obviously I don't want the guy to get hurt or – um, anything to happen that would make New Orleans look, um, look poorly. But um, he would be smart to lay low. Yeah, and low. look, you know, you know, this podcast has gone really long. I don't want to get into it, but I've been to New Orleans. You went to first game. I've been back for things. New Orleans is a fucking disaster downtown right now. They're doing streetcar construction. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They need an airport. You've been to – Lord, Lord have mercy. Louis Armstrong Airport. I, I don't know how they're going to get all that shit together before the Super Bowl, Andrew. And, and I worry about it because New Orleans is my hometown. And I don't want people to be talking about how fucking how it's a, the airport is a goddamn disaster and they can't get around downtown because they got construction going on during the Super Bowl. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, they better get that fixed. But they they know what's at stake, so I, I think they will. But I don't know. My, my closing thing about this whole bounty thing is, you know, obviously Tagliabue. Um, kind of soften the blow I think to the NFL with a lot of uh, with a big PR move to say you know mm-hmm. well we're really doing this we're, we're letting the players off the hook but um, there was enough evidence to suspend them and everybody else on the roster and it's really the Saints organization's fault and so you know I, I think this message that he sent out almost sullied the water a little bit for the players um, that you know he, he, this is what I'm doing but I'm delivering it with this message so that my boy Goodell doesn't look as bad, and, and from a legal standpoint, you know, we're still ironclad as possible, et cetera, et cetera. But the main point I want to make, with that, which is why I feel the players are 100% vindicated, is that actions speak louder than words. And at the end of the day, they were suspended. Doma was suspended for a year, and now his suspension is zero. And you always told me about Buddy me telling you. Exactly. Listen not to what they say. Watch what, what they do. Exactly. I mean, you told well, me that that's the best advice that he ever gave yep. you when you were working for him at WWL. And God rest his soul, I think it applies very well to this situation, Ralph, because look at what Tagliabue did. Don't listen to what he's saying. And what he did was vacate all four players and from that the suspensions. And from that standpoint, vindication, Ralph. No, exactly. And – that's a great point about look at what they you know look at what they do, not what they say, and you know this whole the whole bounty thing uh it just to me, Andrew, I always said if they would have had the saints dead to rights, they wouldn't have had mary Joe Mary Joe White or what her name whatever her name was say, I've looked at the evidence. Trust me, it's airtight. If they would have had the Saints dead to rights, okay, they would have released four or five pieces of it directly to Peter King or Schefter or Mortensen, and you'd have been like, holy shit, what the fuck were the Saints doing? And you'd have just been like, fuck, they got, you know, they wouldn't even, they don't even want the transcripts 
from the players the players hearings with Tagliabue because I heard Ginsburg Vilma's lawyer today he was like we want the transcripts out there and the NFL's like no 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 and to me Andrew I want to hear the transcripts I hear that Joe Vitt's testimony is really kind of he was kind of a disaster and he was maybe blocking Greg Williams from stopping it or whatever well, I want to hear it. I want to know it all. And if it paints the saint in a saint in a bad light, so be it. But to me, Andrew, like you say, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. If the NFL really had it and it was a stone cold lock, they'd have released it all because they would have had the saints dead to rights. Yep. Absolutely. But, yeah. What's that? Go ahead, Andrew. No, I said well said. I agree. Before we get out of here, um, the Saints do have a game to play Sunday. <laughs> They're five and eight. Tampa's six and seven. Tampa's still breathing in the playoffs. And I guess if a meteor hits about four cities, I guess the Saints could make it too. Uh, what do you expect as far as effort from the Saints? Uh, what do you expect as far as the? I'm going to the game. I don't know what the hell to expect from the crowd. Um, what's your take on how this game is going to go? Because the Saints have been sort of fighting the good fight all year long in the last couple of weeks, even though it's sort of fallen away from it. But now it's really, really done, and they're playing out the string. So how is it going to go? Well, uh, I, I could see um, the fans turning on Breeze a little bit if he has another bad game. So hopefully um, – but, but look – I think they're back at home, and I think they realize that, you know, look, we just want to play well in front of our fans. It's a, it's a divisional rival. Um, and I actually think the Saints are probably going to come out and play pretty well. I don't know if they'll win or not, um, but I think they'll try hard. I think if they get down a couple scores, mm-hmm. knowing that there's nothing at stake, um, then I, I think you'll see some guys start to quit. Um, I think you'll see some guys, I don't know who, but uh, I think you'll see some guys maybe not put the kind of effort in, and that's that's when it could get ugly. Um, because I think to an extent you saw that against the Giants late. Yeah. Know, the Saints kind of the Saints kind of decided, you know, we're, our season's over and we're going to lose this game, and, and the effort was poor towards the end of the game. And I, I think more than anything, that's what I want to avoid. Win, lose, or draw, I don't care as much about that. Um, I just don't want to see them quit. Um, that would be really disappointing, especially – to the fans and the season ticket holders that spent a lot of money to, to go see that product and be entertained. And, um, I mean, the least they can do to, for the fans' sake is, is put out a good effort. Um, but I, I think – I really do think they're going to play well, Ralph. And like I said, the main thing I'm looking for is mi- mixing it up with the personnel, with the, with the players, and, and seeing some of these guys get a chance like Gillette and Martez Wilson to play more. Um, I, I would love to see Will Smith sit out an entire half and really get Martez a good half and and, and and let's evaluate personnel and see what we've got going into 2013. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm convinced that the Saints have one more win in them, and that win is going to be to ruin Dallas' season, and that will be next week. Um, I don't have any evidence. Do you really think they're going to lose their last two at home? I think they're going to lose their last two at home, but I think they're going to be, they're going to they're going to go to Dallas and they're going to give just they'll intercept Tony Romo three or four times and it'll be just be it'll just be a fun romp in the park to six and ten. Um, that's my that's my theory um, as far as the Saints go. But I want to before we 
before we get out of here, the interesting thing I was thinking about Will Smith, you know, for all the things that we think of him, you know, the Saints have paid him like an elite pass rusher, Andrew, and he's only got two seasons with double-digit sacks, you know. So I almost think that if he – I just don't see him – I don't see him back next year. I don't see Harper. I don't see Vilma. I just think they're – I just think those guys are gone. And I think, you know, when you evaluate Will Smith, we like him as a guy. He's been a trooper. He's been a solid player. But they paid him, Andrew, as an elite defensive end. And he's only delivered – 2006, he had 10.5, and, and 2009, he had 13. The rest of the time, the most sacks he's ever had is 8.5. Yeah, no, I think I agree. I think Will Smith is a good player. I think he has remained pretty solid throughout his career. He's had peaks and valleys, and um, I think it was the Super Bowl year where he kind of exploded, exploded, right? Yeah. Had a couple bad years and then really rebounded well, and that was the Super Bowl year. Um, but no, I, I I agree. I don't think they kind of got the return on that investment. Um, now again. Um, when you consider the alternative, I think he, he was a pretty solid player and a complete player. Um, so I don't know that spending less on someone that wouldn't have been as good, you know, investing in half the money in, in Bobby McRae, let's say, to be, you know, long-term defensive end and, and cutting Will Smith loose and having Bobby McRae be his replacement. I, I don't think that would have fixed things. So you got to consider the alternative, of course. But, um, you know, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, if you look at Will Smith's career, he's been a pretty solid Saint, pretty solid player. But uh, if you live up to his contract, maybe he fell a little bit short of that. But, guys, I mean, they gave Charles Grant every bit as much money as they gave Will Smith. And, um, <laughs> they did. You know, that, that, I mean, the minute he got paid, um, he, he uh, decreased his production by about 75%. So um, good, good. when you look at it that way, Will Smith at least showed up. Good. I will say Charles Grant was one of the ones that I got um, – completely right and i got ripped on a couple of blogs by different people i was like you know what let charles just let him leave just let him go and everybody's like you can't i'm like just let him leave it'll be okay and people ripped me and ripped me but i got that one right but andrew my friend um hopefully the saints will be for my i want them to be five and nine because i want to pick when we talk draft, Andrew, I want to be talking about a top five pick. And they have a lot of four and nine teams, and they got a lot of five and eight teams. So if it goes the Saints' way, we can have a top five pick, and that's what I want to talk to you about during the off season. So I will admit I'm rooting for the Saints to lose. So when I talk to you Monday, I want them to be five and nine. I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible well, person. You're a horrible person, and uh, I'm still rooting for a Saints win. Um, you know. Maybe the last game of the season, if it's between picking 15th and picking 8th, okay, maybe okay. Maybe then I'd want to you know lose. What it, but, uh, that's a good point. Because I, I can't, it could I can't pick from the losers yet. It could, it could happen because you have you have a big cluster of like six teams that are 5 and 8 and like six no teams that are 4 and 9. So you could have a thing where it could be, like you say, where a win or a loss – can move you up six, seven spots. And I know people say root to the end, but to me, if I know that if Carolina makes a goddamn field goal the last week of the year and it means seven spots in the draft, I'm rooting for them to make the field goal, okay? (laughs) 
I'm I'm a horrible I'm a horrible person. But Andrew, thanks for joining us. Go to Saints Nation, people. Read his grades. Read all his stuff. It's it's fantastic. You know you don't want to do work during the day anyway, and you need to grin and bear this disaster in 2012. But Andrew, thanks for joining us, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, bro. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.